Okay, good evening. Today we have another program at uh, Girls Must Talk with Mrs. Gertz, and we have a um, new speaker, and well, not that she's new, she's been here before, but um, she wants to tell us a little bit of her quest. Uh, she was looking for something in her life to make it meaningful. And we have today Bracha, and Bracha is going to talk a little bit about her experience in her quest uh, in looking for meaning in life. Hi, Bracha. Good evening. How are you today? Baruch Hashem. Thank God, Shoshana. Nice to hear from you. Thank you. And um, it's a beautiful evening in Jerusalem, Yerushalayim. And I did a lot of thinking about how to present this to people out there. It seems like they're coming from all over the world. And because of my experience uh, singing and telling stories to women in uh, many locations, not all over the world, but in a lot of locations for many years, I tried to find what will connect what can you hear from me that can be meaningful and also common in our experience? And I have found that the people I know and the people I have been a teacher of, including people who are becoming Jewish or finding their Jewishness, they generally have a common statement that they were looking for something, something missing in their life. They didn't know what. And sometimes something would happen to them, a terrible loss you shouldn't know from it, or an accident or an illness. And then they kind of woke up and connected more with their inner self and went beyond, above and beyond what they even imagined they were looking for. So, and that's in a way my story, because I was always, since I was very young, a searcher and asking questions and wondering, what am I doing here? What does the creator want from us? I felt very strongly always a connection to the, what we call the Ribona Shalom, the master of the universe, but I couldn't understand what he wanted from us. And even though I came from... Um, a religious background, a um, family of two sets of religious grandparents that came from Europe to America in the 1880s. And I experienced a, a uh, observant Jewish home with a beautiful Sabbath table and mm -hmm. parents engendering mm -hmm. um, respect for family life and respect for of decency and uh, and and um, and decent ways of living and and so on, I still felt something missing. My questions weren't answered, even with an early Jewish education. It wasn't very complete because, as I've mentioned before, if you remember me, I'm a great grandmother now. So I've been yeah, Thank you. A lot of years and a lot of experience to look through and say, how can I present this to people? 
And how can I fulfill the concept that if you talk from your heart, the words will go into the hearts of others? And that's what I hope to do. I did go very, and I, so I'm reviewing very quickly that I had a young childhood of experiencing the Second World War in America, not as a person suffering, and yet we suffered from the what we knew what was happening, what we felt what was happening, what we felt helpless, how in any way we could help. And I experienced sitting on the beach and watching my mother actually identify two German spies and giving that information to the police, and they caught them. Mm-hmm. We were involved as a family in what was happening in the, in the world. Mm-hmm. So that was a good part of my experience. And family togetherness in many ways and many times. Mm-hmm. But then I told, I reviewed again very quickly that at 15, so I, I just was searching. There was a certain point that my family stopped being so observant because of very severe financial changes. And in those days, the world has changed so much. There's so much available now for those who are searching. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking just online. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just all kinds of institutions, all kinds of learned people, all kinds of um in the Jewish world, you can find your place for, with people so with so much caring and learning. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't like that when I was a child. We were we were rare birds. Mm-hmm. We were even in a, a completely Jewish neighborhood, but mm-hmm. almost no one was observant. Mm-hmm. And so even the teachers in our schools at that time didn't know enough as they do now. The, it was suffering from our 2,000 years of exile in which Jewish education fell by the wayside in many ways because of the Jews being persecuted and sent from here to there, not just because of the Holocaust. It's, it's been going on a long time that our lives as Jews are very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. So at this point when I awoke from this coma, because I made a promise to God. I didn't always keep the promise so clearly in my mind, but I did want to mention quickly something we call NDE, near-death experience. Mm -hmm. And it was identified to me that even though I was breathing on my own, but I was in a coma, I realized that I was near death. Mm -hmm. And it was the promise I made that I woke up like in this miraculous way instantly from the coma and from the paralysis and the pain. And I was just almost completely healthy there. Uh, No side effects, except when when your teenage kids are mad at you, they'll they'll think of something just Mm -hmm. kidding. (laughs) But, Mm -hmm. But... At that time, I was 15 years old and in high school. And what happens when you have this near-death experience, and I think I had elements in my whole personality, always searching for something, asking questions, wondering, trying to understand what is this all about, why do we do this, what of these... um, these observances that we did as Sabbath and Passover and and all the different amazing, beautiful holidays about our history, Hanukkah. Mm-hmm. What does it mean? And what's the difference if we actually do light a candle on Friday night? What's the difference if we say these words? 
or not? Does God hear us? Does it change anything? Mm-hmm. Why is it important that that this is part of our Jewish life for all these thousands of years from 3,330 some years since we stood at Mount Sinai and said to God, we'll do and we'll listen. Mm -hmm. And you know the famous joke that uh, God went to all the nations of the world and offered them the Torah. Mm -hmm. And they all all refused based on certain misfoots of certain commandments. They said, that's not for us. So, um, but before going through all that, it just, in the end, he went to the Jews who really had nothing coming out of slavery. God wants to give them something. They said, how much? You know that famous joke. <laughs> how much? He said, it's free. And they said, we'll take two. We'll take two. Or some people, we'll take ten. Oh, my Two, God. like the two tablets of the commandments, or ten, like the ten commandments. I mean, you can, I can give you, if you want me to make a little booklet, how to tell this joke. There you go. That's yeah. So then, tell us. So then, here we we are. And I'm 15, and I'm a teenager, Mm -hmm. and I woke from a coma, and life was not the same in Mm -hmm. the sense that everything was like in Technicolor. Mm -hmm. It's like you go from black and white, and suddenly Mm -hmm. now the movies have color, and now you can uh, turn on something in your house, and there. People actually walking, talking, communicating you from afar. So the future possibilities of all the technology were already beginning to emerge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But still, a a truth, Mm -hmm. something called truth, meaning, reality, caring, something beyond just politics, just someone who wants to get elected, Mm -hmm. and something beyond even... Uh, the hope that there would be no more war, that the world would settle down after this most horrendous loss of life mm-hmm. all over the world. Mm-hmm. In they called it theater. Was it the, um, the Japanese theater or the European theater or the, or the African theater or the Asian theater? I mean, that's what they called it. Mm-hmm. Did they realize that, see, me waking from a near-death experience, calling something a theater, every word had a meaning. Life had a different meaning. So you're saying, so, to clarify, you're saying that what the war, they were calling it a theater? That's the word. Uh, and in the Japanese theater, this and this and this, these many ships, these many casualties, this uh, island, this, this, I mean, uh, people... People's hearts and uh, were very much involved. People had family. People had friends. Um, I had an uncle in the Air Force, yeah. uh, but yeah. but that's not it. We knew our people were being slaughtered, and yeah. we did. Uh, and, and my family, uh, my grandfather, particularly on my mother's side, was, and, and my father's side too. But my my mother's father was very involved in getting charity. And going on ships, which were very dangerous in those times, Israel to bring money for the poor people here, yeah. and to bring. And by the way, I only came here two and a half years ago as a permanent resident. I've been visiting. I have family here, mm-hmm. but don't think I'm talking that I've been here all this time. No, I, no. I, yeah. I, 
So tell us a little bit. So let, let, yeah, yeah, because this time we do have a little bit of time. Not, not yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. So, so, you know, it's very interesting. A Jewish soul feels that way, everyone, I think, in some level, because a Jewish soul knows inherently that we're here in this world to do something, to accomplish something, to change something. Mm-hmm. And so much of change has been involved with Jewish people even in negative ways because they just have this force to do something. Mm-hmm. Well, in high school, I mainly stayed home and read a lot of classic books, and I went on Fridays to find out what happened and just kind of passed through. Yes. But then I got to, university, to college and university, and I said, I'm going to major in philosophy. So mm-hmm. when someone asked me, why are you majoring in philosophy? Because I want to find out the meaning of life. Yeah. And they looked at me like, I'm crazy. Who knows what's the meaning of life and who cares? Right. But now I think people do know what we're talking about mm-hmm. and many psychologists and philosophers now do write about real life not just uh, the uh, the kinds of you know Greek philosophy actually has a lot of things about real life and I still mm-hmm. was thinking about it today Socrates is still one of my favorites because he uh, asked okay. questions yeah. and he encouraged people what is justice right what right. Chicago, you were living in Chicago? So my my husband was first when we, I was first married, we were in undergraduate Michigan in mm-hmm. Arbor. Mm-hmm. And then he did graduate work at Yale and I had kids already. So mm-hmm. I was busy with the kids, but at some point at Yale, that's New Haven, Connecticut, mm-hmm. that's when the civil rights movement really began to burgeon. And I must tell you, I was on a trip from Arizona where my parents were uh, while I was in my first year of college, and I was on a bus trip to go back to university. And at certain stops, rest stops, you saw what I had heard about, what I was taught was terrible, what I always felt was terrible. I saw the separate bathrooms for colored and white. I'm not saying color. The sign said separate water fountains. Mm-hmm. And seeing black people come out of these places and the feeling of even fear, if I even look them in the eye. I There are experiences that I had personally, and of course, 
living growing up in New York, we didn't have uh, Jim Crow. We didn't sit in separate parts yeah. of the bus. And, so were you saying you're saying that the African Americans, the African Americans, were suffering, or they had fear of the of the white people? Well, what no, that racism was a big thing then, mm -hmm. in the sense that who you could hire, where they could live, um, what rights they really had, even though on the books they had rights, they had rights to vote, but. Mm -hmm. In the South, the fear and the, the Ku Klux Klan was active. But by the way, in the South was also a lot of anti-Semitism. And in my elementary class, one family came in. Um, it was a small school, so you notice, oh, here's a new family. Where are they coming from? I forgot. Georgia, Alabama. Why? Because the, and the father was a doctor. These are successful people. But yeah, yeah, you know, and you, of the anti-Semitism, wow, wow, they came wow. to New York. The uh -huh. life has changed enormously in the United States yeah. and the world yeah. because it doesn't exist anymore. But I have to put in one good, even though I'm not crazy about President Franklin Delano Roosevelt and how he he could have done things to help stop the Holocaust and refuse to be involved, but. He is the first representative to the United Nations from the United States of America was somebody named Ralph J. Bunch, who won a Nobel Prize, actually, and was a black man, an orphan. Mm -hmm. uh, his, his, his raised himself in total poverty and just, I think he had a grandmother that made him study. Wow. But, but he also was in some sort of negotiations in Greece. Mm -hmm. Something to do that helped Israel at some point. So they, they were they are pockets of light yes. and pockets of very uh, very talented, very amazingly achieving black people. But in general, I was um, even made very aware of this in my Jewish school that we were not to use this terrible N word that they use in the South to describe black people. And you know when I was. Um, Growing up, I think basically they used the word Negro. Mm -hmm. And that's what they felt happy to be called that rather than the N-word. Mm -hmm. And then they decided black was beautiful, which actually comes from the Torah. And it's speaking of the wife of Moses. Right. The concept black is beautiful is right out of our mm -hmm. five books of Moses that we don't, the Jewish people never identify what is our people by how they look right color right uh, culture mm -hmm. whether they serve built a fish friday night or some other moroccan kind of moroccan fish instead <laughs> yeah moroccan fish with olives and lots of pepper yeah miami oh, yummy, yummy, yummy. Oh, anyhow so so, What's the wonderful Mexican? Um, oh, Veracruz. The, the, the Veracruz, Veracruz fish. Beautiful. Veracruz. Uh, okay. Oh, filet de soul. You know, it has nothing to do with the Judaism. It has to do with how you behave and who you are. Okay. So when Martin Luther King came up in 1963, I was in New Haven. Mm -hmm. And 
I had and the and the movement had started in the south, which they're not going to sit in the back of the bus. And this famous Rosa Parks just decided she's going to walk, but she's not going to sit in the back of the bus. And folk singers, white folk singers, began mm-hmm. singing about it. Mm-hmm. In fact, there's a folk singer named Malvina Reynolds. I don't know if any of you ever heard of her, but. Well, Pete Seeger, the famous American folk singer, said she was the greatest folk singer of the whole 20th century. Mm-hmm. And she wrote, I mean, she wrote her songs. Mm-hmm. She, yeah. she was Jewish mm-hmm. from Chicago, by the way. Oh, wow. But, wow. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I could then, I, I, and maybe next time I will get my guitar and, and, and sing one of her songs for you. Yeah, that would be lovely. Amazing. Mm-hmm. So tell us. But the thing is, um, I, uh, I, I, at that time, started the whole the movement, and I, I said to my husband, we have to do something. Because, again, here was something you could do. You could go and help people who were, their families were taken away, their language was taken away, their culture was taken away. Actually, it wasn't, that's a little bit over-exaggeration, as I learned later on. But... I said, let's do something. So there were already in New Haven tutoring programs mm-hmm. where you could go and help black kids learn so they could maybe do better in school. I joined that. And from that, we got involved in this organization called CORE, C-O-R-E, Congress of Racial Equality. I don't know if you want to show pictures on this, but I have pictures. Uh, uh, yeah, we, we, we will see if we can. And my family involved. Very well, nice. The, the uh-huh. people that was an amazing organization, a civil rights organization, that really we all worked together. Mm-hmm. There was not a question of what color you are. And somehow I got appointed head of their education committee, mm-hmm. and I spoke at town meetings and all this about there has to be um, fair, equal education for black people before the Supreme Court came up with their separate, separate but equal is not okay. I don't wow. know if any of this is familiar to some of you. Mm-hmm. And I, so I was involved with the organization, and we were all friends. Mm-hmm. And um, and we worked on equal housing. My husband, my ex husband, now uh, for many years, because this was a long time ago, mm-hmm. he got arrested sitting in the. On the village green, they pitched tents to show how bad the housing was for black people, which was wow. true. And he was one of them. So here he's a graduate student at Yale, and he gets arrested for pitching a tent in the New Haven green. Wow. It was a scandal for the Yale University. Ay, ay, ay. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. We have right now exactly, uh, uh, because of this time, we have five small minutes, five more minutes that we can wrap it up for this series, and we will continue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and in these five minutes, I will give you what really uh, Shoshana wants me to bring out all along. Then uh, when my ex-husband finished graduate school, got his PhD, who went to Chicago. We all went to move to Chicago for postgraduate mm-hmm. study. Mm-hmm. In other words, what am I doing? It was a nice Jewish lady like me doing in Chicago on the South Side. And um, I had at that point three children. Mm-hmm. So um, 
So we went to look for that organization, which was also Chicago, and I got very involved. Mm-hmm. And there, I don't know if any of you heard of the South Side of Chicago. I don't think it's that much better than it was then. And I, and I think you've heard of the word community organizer in mm-hmm. relation to somebody called Pre- President Obama. Mm-hmm. And I'm laughing at his community organizing. I was really in there, in the Mm -hmm. glass, broken glass streets, in a storefront running the South Side Freedom Center Mm -hmm. in Chicago. Mm -hmm. I was going from door to door helping to organize tenants that they shouldn't have to live in the slums like that. I was doing it. I wasn't just posting little signs and being supported by anybody. This we just did voluntarily. Mm-hmm. And we were demonstrating also against the unequal education in Chicago, the separate schools. And mainly it got organized by neighborhoods. And of course, a lot has happened since then. Mm-hmm. But I really were put my uh, risk, my life in a certain way. And um, because it, it, it had its dangerous sides. One Sunday morning, I'm sitting in my storefront, Southside Freedom Center. It's not mine, but because I used to report every week to the organization what we did, what we're accomplishing. Mm-hmm. And came in these three or four big, tall black fellows. Mm-hmm. And they said to me, and at that morning when I walked in, there was broken glass all over the street, even though they hadn't broken our storefront glass. I'm sitting behind this sort of beat-up old desk, and they come and they said, what's a nice Jewish lady like you doing in a place like this? And it was so funny, I'm thinking, how did they know I was Jewish? (laughs) (laughs) One side, well, Shoshana, who knows me, maybe thinks I look a little Jewish. (laughs) But on the other hand, the other hand, another time I was on my way while I parked a car and was walking to the storefront, uh, Southside Freedom Center, yeah. and this sort of uh, academic-looking black fellow. I don't know if this sounds racist, but he's wearing glasses and dressed like he maybe goes to the university or something. Yeah. And looked at me walking down this street in this neighborhood and goes, what are you doing here? And I said, well, you know, my people were slaves. So mm-hmm. we can, you know, we really... Uh, it, I think that's all I said, and I still remember the look on his face. Mm-hmm. But I was really involved helping on all different levels, education, um, demonstrations. We marched with Martin Luther King. We marched with very famous Andrew Young, very famous people in the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. There's so much to tell about it. Mm-hmm. And we were – this – Chicago's a little rougher than New Haven, from my experience. And although things started changing, there was somebody named Malcolm X that people admire, and people maybe don't realize that he inspired violence and and began to be really um, looking at uh, certain elements of society as his enemies, hating white people. One time I walked in to give my report, Mm-hmm. into this uh, meeting and one one black fellow turned to me and said what are you doing here whitey mm-hmm. and when i heard that it was the first time anybody in this bit it was maybe two years in new haven 
two years in Chicago, within four or five years, the first time anybody ever talked like that. Mm -hmm. In fact, if you ever heard of the famous comedian Dick Gregory, was a, a brilliant, very funny man. He's no longer with us, mm -hmm. but he was like a special friend. Mm -hmm. And every time when our car used to break down at the demonstration, he used to help push our car because we couldn't afford a new battery. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. He used to help push our car. And he used so, to say, yeah. Such beautiful children. Three minutes, three minutes, three minutes we have. Because so, okay. When I heard this, what are you doing here, Whitey? Mm -hmm. I turned around, I walked out, and I never went back. Even though there were actually two wonderful middle-aged fellows from the organization who came to my house and begged me to come back. But I had had, like, uh, people are using this word epiphany. Is that a problem? Yeah, it's a problem. I, I felt like a bolt. Like a wake-up call. I, uh, I, I felt a very strong... Um, uh, um, uh, uh, like uh, a shock. Yeah. What am I like? What am I doing here? Yeah. Because I because uh, I worked with him also on a Black History program. We went to PBS to try to get it put on, and all this time I'm trying to work with their ethnic history and racial history even though Jews have plenty black people, yeah. including all the Ethiopians living here now. Yeah. Um, and, and I said... Wrap it up, two minutes, what two about, minutes. What about, okay, what about me? Mm -hmm. I really, even I, I explained to you I have a, some Jewish background, Jewish observance and all of that. Mm -hmm. A lot more than a lot of Americans did at that time. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I said, you know what? I really cannot open my own books and read them in my language of that? Hebrew. Wow. wow. So we're gonna read. Be I can't open them and read them. I don't know that much about my own history. How I don't know that much about what the Torah says. Oh, wow. And I decided I'm, go I'm going to, I'm going to, this is, it, it was such a shock that I said, What's wrong with me? You know, I was looking for something to do, and there was nothing wrong with what I did. I, there were a lot of people, very good, positive, beautiful things created from it. Yeah, yeah. But, but then all of a sudden, there was me and my family and my Jewish husband and my Jewish children. So you were really asking. Very little, um, a very little connection to what my people are all about. And I said, your I, essence. Your my essence. search turned around. The searchlight turned. So we're and going to leave it out. there. It's beautiful because we're going to continue another series about what this whole thing that was indirectly you were trying to do good and how Hashem, you know, made you arrive to a point to question what are you really doing? What is this quest about helping other people when you, like you say, you your quest was, I don't even know my my you know my my history my 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 uh, inheritance and 
we're going to leave it at that, that that was a, a first beginning to your quest towards Yiddishkeit. Thank you very much. Thank you, uh, Bracha. We will continue this series because it's very important. Everybody's living right now moments uh, of trying to be, you know, um, uh, want to find a, a message that everybody's equal. And yeah, we're going to see that, yeah, on one side we're equal, but on the other side, we have to look for our essence, that that's the most important thing in today's world. So we'll continue uh, next next week. And if you want to continue or have any questions, please, please, please write to us at uh, Women's Must Talk with Mrs. Gertz um, and uh, dot, dot com. And we will be listening and continuing with uh, Bracha that has beautiful, beautiful experiences that we'd like to share. Bracha, thank you very much for your program and your time. And this is valuable. Um, you know, this is history of the United States. And uh, you really uh, say you have a lot of pictures. Hopefully, we'll be able to show them at the right time. Thank you and have a good night. Thank you very much, Bracha. My pleasure. I hope it's not um, misunderstood that I'm turning my back on any group of people. What I did was turn to myself and say, my identity is important. It's valuable and I don't know anything about it enough. Thank you very, very much. And that's where, the, where my own quest for what the meaning of my life, what I'm doing here, began to really grow. Beautiful. To be continued. Thank you very much. Have a good night, everybody. See you next in the next program. Thank you very much.